Welcome to The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. This is episode 20. Now, Americans on the whole are much better than Australians at God talk. You know, just kind of mentioning God, their gratefulness to him, their relationship with him in the everyday conversations. For this reason and many more, I really love talking to my next guest, Jennifer Phillips. She has an infectious delight in her relationship with God that she writes about beautifully on her blog, uh, which is called Jennifer Phillips Blog, double N, double L. We'll link to it in the show notes on the Gospel Coalition Australia page and also on our Facebook page. But she also talks about it really naturally as well. So I really enjoyed our conversation. We talked about um, her journey adopting her child and also the growth of her blog. And uh, she has some really profound things to say about parenting, not being about having our kids bow to the subtle parenting idols that we have in our lives. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Jennifer, welcome to the Lydia Project. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's fantastic to um, be able to spend some time with you. Now, I just want to ask you at the beginning, how did you come to know Jesus? Well, I am very thankful that um, I have parents that love Jesus a lot. My dad was a Baptist minister for many, many years. So he was a pastor when I was young. And um, so I lived that pastor's kid uh, life where we were at church a lot, but um, just really thankful to have parents that told me about Jesus and Sunday school teachers and, and things like that. So I was um, six years old when I told my parents that I wanted to make a decision to trust in Jesus and, and just really thankful for through the years, um, just people that poured into me, you know, whether that was in the children's ministry and then the youth ministry and then in college and a discipleship ministry um, of people that continued to, to kind of point the way and help me have a love for God's word and just a thirst to know him and um, to follow him even when things got tough. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really thankful that, um, that that's my story. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. And Clearly you're American yes. because you don't sound like an Aussie. So <laughs> what brought you to Australia? My husband and I worked with a ministry called Campus Outreach in the States. So it's a, a uni ministry and they have franchises in several different countries. And we thought even from the, before the time that we got engaged, we kind of knew, okay, eventually we're going to be overseas. We didn't know exactly what that would look like, but that was kind of the goal. And then we had our first child, and I thought, oh, never mind. <laughs> we don't have to do that anymore. Because <laughs> just the thought of, you know, taking kids away from grandparents, and it suddenly got, the cost felt a lot higher. And um, so ended up, the Lord kind of taking us through a five-year period of us just wrestling through, you know, what calling has he placed on us? and. He just stripped down a lot of things, probably in both my husband and I, to eventually um, brought us to an opportunity in Australia. So Campus Outreach, their franchise here is called Uni Impact, a ministry at UQ. And so we came over here to work with uni students and for my husband to kind of shepherd the um, Impact staff in Australia and New Zealand. And so what kind of involvement have you had in that ministry over the years? It's looked different. Um, when we came over here, we 
had three kids. Now we have four. So probably my involvement is we've had people to our house and I've tried to be available to meet with students as I can. What we found is probably a more productive use of my time in ministry is to um, be involved in the school where my, where my kids are. Do you have specific things that you do in the school? Yeah, well, one thing that I do is I teach RI and um, I've really, really enjoyed that. It's such a privilege. Mm. Um, I think you know, in America, there's no way that you could teach the Bible in a public school. And so I'm just floored. I continue to be floored <laughs> that we have that opportunity here in Australia. And so I'm just so grateful. And yeah, I just really enjoy enjoy the women that I've um, become friends with over the years and just do life with them and share with them. Yeah. Now, I know you have um, a blog. Tell me, what made you want to start your blog? Okay, this is funny because uh, when we were uh, first moving to Australia seven years ago, my husband said, you should start a blog because people are going to want to keep up with life in Australia. And I enjoy writing. I enjoy telling stories. And they're like, He's like, the people will love it. They want you, they'll want you to do it. And I, my exact response was, uh, blogs are dumb. <laughs> I said, why does anybody want to read a blog? And, but he kind of kept pestering me about it. And so I said, fine, I'll do it, but I'll make it private, invite only, only these, I think there were about 50 of friends and family and I would write and you know, and just tell about funny stories here and things that were hard and got really encouraging responses from people, but I never intended it to go beyond the 50 that I had invited to read it. They were very safe. They loved me. Um, I was fine with sharing with them. And then we decided uh, to adopt a little girl from China. And when we got close to time to travel, I had this thought of, oh, uh, we have lots of friends in Australia who want to follow along while we're in China and follow along our story. And so I guess I should start a public blog just for that, just for that. So really quickly, not even thinking much, I created this public blog called Bringing Lucy Home and um, just started updating on our adoption experience and our time in China. And I remember our last day in China, I told my husband, I was like, well, I guess that's it for the blog. That's kind of the story. And then we'll get back and I'll go back to my safe private blog. But the Lord had different plans. And through just some immigration issues that are now still hard to explain, our family kind of experienced a crisis. And I continued writing really out of desperation of needing people to pray and just trying to process my feelings on it and what the Lord was trying to teach me through it. And it just blew up. Thousands of people were reading it, and I, I was blown away. And, um, you know, and they kind of were encouraging me, keep writing, keep writing. And when we got back to Australia, I, I had a choice to make because I was being asked to continue to write. Even some people were saying, you should turn this into a book. And I thought, okay, I would really like to go back to my safe private blog. But God, what are you doing here? You know, you've opened up this door. You've kind of given me this platform. I've been able to be a voice of influence to people that I never would have expected. Are you wanting me to keep to continue doing this? I was really hoping he'd say no, <laughs> but 
<laughs> it kind of kept pressing on me. Yeah. And so I, I created this public blog that anybody could read, and that's terrifying. Um, but four years later, I'm still doing it. Tell me then about your blog now. How often do you post? Uh, I tried to weekly. That's okay. my goal. Mm-hmm. That's quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And what's your theme of your blog? Yeah. So there's not a particular theme. If I was to say that, that there was one, it would be, I'm a mess, God is faithful. And that plays out in all different kinds of ways. That could be funny stories. I honestly love to write comedy. I've said, if I write another book, it's going to be pure comedy. Um, <laughs> but uh, so sometimes it's just funny things, ridiculous things that have happened. And um And then it's also me seeing my brokenness as a parent, as a wife, as a friend, as someone in a broken world, and just trying to process that and walk through that through the lens of the gospel. Just wanting to be honest about what is hard about life, some things that we don't, maybe we don't like to talk about sometimes because we want to pretend like, or let other people think that we're doing great and everything's good. But for me, I'd rather be, let's be honest about what's hard, but let's not stay there. Let's turn it back. What does the gospel say about my pain in this or the brokenness of this? And how does the gospel give me courage, not my own efforts and abilities to get it right, but his goodness and the fact that he's perfect, even when I I never can be. Mm. So, yeah. So I'll kind of post anywhere in between. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I have read some of them and I think you do write beautifully. Thank you. And I look forward to linking to it so that more people can (laughs) join in reading your encouraging posts. Now, tell me about the funny story, the funny time that your blog crashed because it had too many visitors. (laughs) Yeah, this was so bizarre. So uh, my, my husband and I had given a parenting talk at church and people had asked for our notes. And so I thought, ah, my notes are kind of a mess. I'll, I'll just make this into a blog and that'd be easier for pe- people to access. And so literally, I just turned my notes into a blog, posted it at night, went to bed, woke up this, the next morning and I couldn't get on it. And I thought, that's really strange. And then I saw that this pretty big family organization in the States had shared it on Twitter. I'm like, how did they know about it? And as I kind of worked with my website person to get it up and running again, um, is when I saw, oh my goodness, this thing is jumping by the thousands every five minutes. <laughs> and like to put it in perspective, I mean, like for me, a great post would, like the most it would get maybe would be like 4,000 reads, which that's a lot for someone who is not famous. I mean, you know, that's that's a lot. But this was jumping and jumping to where, like now I think it's it's been read like 300,000 times. It, it was shared 80,000 times on Facebook. And um, so what was the title of it? The title post? was When Kids Won't Bow to Your Idols. And it was based off of a quote I heard from a counselor and author, Dan Allender. He said, uh, the biggest source of conflict between you and your kids is when they refuse to bow to your idols. So I heard that probably 12 years ago, and it has stuck with me as the most profound parenting quote I've ever heard, because it is so true. And I see it playing out in my life every day. And so it was based off of that. You know, when we have these heightened emotional responses to our kids, are we really broken over their sin? Or is it that we're frustrated and angry that they are not 
bowing to something that we're holding too tightly, whether that be we want them to be a certain kind of kid, you know, or we want them to speak respectfully to us. We want them to perform well academically and athletically. We want them to make us look good. Uh, We want our reputation to be intact. You know, could it be that we get upset when these things that we're holding too tightly are being shaken? And we don't like to talk about idolatry very much, but it is alive and well in our hearts. So that was kind of the the theme. And it just resonated with people. And still, like, Focus on the Family shared it. The Gospel Coalition in the States shared it. Like, they let me kind of write a condensed version on their blog. And I think it was shared like 21,000 times on their site. And yeah, I think it just gave people new insight into, oh, wait a second. Like, my goal doesn't have to be to have a well-behaved child. And what am I demanding? At, to what cost have I been demanding that instead of pursuing their heart? And what does parenting actually reveal about my heart? And maybe that's, that's the point. You know, more so than is little Johnny towing the line (laughs) is what is my heart worshiping and how does that play out in my parenting? Mm. And that's it's really helpful because you read about idols in the Bible or you hear a a line in a sermon, you know, our idols today can be money or whatever, Mm. but it's a bit out there. But when you describe the reaction that I have sometimes (laughs) with my kids, I can see that that is idolatry. And yeah, yeah, so it's actually very helpful to call it. And a lot of times our idols are good things that have become ultimate things. Exactly. Like wanting a happy family. That's a good thing, isn't it? But not when you want that above wanting Mm -hmm. Christ. That's right. That's right. And and is it good to want your child to obey? Yes. But when you're demanding it to the extent of you're getting disproportionately (laughs) angry to the situation, there's a lot more going. It's not that you're wanting their righteousness and their holiness and repentance. It's you are frustrated that they are not getting in line and mm-hmm. how you're, you're mad at how that makes you feel mm-hmm. and how that makes you look, how it reflects on you mm-hmm. as a parent. Well, thank you. <laughs> so it's definitely not a private blog. No, it's not. It is uh, not. <laughs> that's funny. Back to your blog about bringing Lucy home. Yep. What made you even start on that journey of adoption? So probably it began when I was in uni, I spent a month in China and just fell in love with China, fell in love with Chinese people. And I was aware at that point of the one-child policy and kind of the ramifications for children and parents because of that. And so that was just a tiny seed that was was planted at that point. And then when I graduated from uni, I worked at a crisis pregnancy center and I counseled women, um, encouraging them to choose life, whether that was parenting or placing for adoption. And so I saw adoption from the standpoint of the birth mother. And so really just gained a burden for adoption. And so the kind of that coupled with the reality of the situation in China and how many orphans are in China, how many parents kind of are forced to abandon their children, specifically ones with special needs, just created a burden in my heart of I would love to adopt one day. And kind of my husband and I both talking about that. We would love to do this one day. Is that so to do something good for that child or to support the concept of adoption or? 
I think, yeah, a combination of both. You know, like you look in Scripture and you see God's heart for orphans on display again and again and again. It is a big deal to Him. And He calls us to care for the orphans and widows. That does not mean everybody is called to adopt, but we're called to do something. You know, we're called to somehow care uh, for the most vulnerable. So I think for us, because this burden wouldn't go away, you know, we've got to pursue this. Adopting in Australia takes decades. Yes. Because the adoption agency actually aren't in favour of adoption. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you do it? Even though this was kind of a, a, a burden on our hearts, we thought we'd love to do this one day. You know, first we had one child, then two, then three, and then we knew we were moving to Australia. And like you said, we, we knew that adoption is really difficult in Australia, unfortunately. Although there are, there is some progress being made, which is exciting, but... Yeah, we knew it'd be difficult. And so we really thought that door was closing, but I could not let it go. And every so often I would Google, can Americans living in Australia adopt? (laughs) And and I would look through these photos of waiting children in China and just pray. And one of those Google searches one day led me to someone that could give me an answer that, yes, actually, we could go through the American system and adopt that way. And so we were on it. <laughs> you went through an American adoption agency mm-hmm. and you were given a child, mm-hmm. Lucy, and then yep. your family went to pick her up. And how mm-hmm. did that go? Well, yeah, so our whole family. So at that time, my three biological kids, they were um, 10, 8 and 6, two boys and a girl. And we all went to China and we knew, we had been very well prepared by our agency of the reality that, you know, we didn't have this romantic picture in our head of she'll see us and we'll see her and it's love at first sight and she'll jump into our arms. I mean, that was not, that was not our expectation. We knew here's a child who was coming from a very poor institution where she has received subpar care and it's in isolation most of the day. We look different from her. We sound different. We smell different. She's not used to being touched very much. Like we knew this was not going to be easy. And families have all different kinds of stories. But I, I feel like we were prepared that it could it could be hard. And she did have a hard time. She uh, would physically lean as far back away from us as possible with her hands in the air and would just have this blank. So as you were holding her, she as we were of... holding her, she would just lean back and either scream or would just kind of have this blank look on her face and. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like even though we were very, very prepared, it was hard, you know, because you think, oh, I just want to love you and I want to care for you and provide for you. And it's kind of like, you know, um, C.S. Lewis has that quote that says we're content with mud pies in the slums because we have no idea of what a holiday to see is like. It's kind of like that. Like she had never experienced a family. She had never experienced extended amounts of affection. And so for her, it was all scary and she'd rather lay in a dark room alone than be with us. It was just terrifying for her. Yeah, so it, it, it was difficult. And, and the name of the game was Patient Pursuit. Yep. Yeah. And then, so you went to America to get her American Citizenship. Citizenship and passport. And then you and Lucy were going to fly home to Australia to be reunited with your family. That's right. So my husband and the other three kids uh, flew back to Australia. And Lucy and I went to America. It was going to be a 10-day trip. Uh, She 
was supposed to receive automatic U.S. citizenship when she landed in America, get a passport two days later, see some family for a few days, and be on our way. And um, in an unprecedented circumstance, her, her passport application was denied. And this particular agent said she was not a U.S. citizen and wouldn't grant it. And never in a million years did we expect that to happen. So our reality became, okay, here I am on one side of the world with a baby who does not want me. My husband and other three children who very much want me are on the other side of the world. and We, we can't get to each other at this time, and we don't know how long it will be. Oh, my goodness. And so... <laughs> What did you learn about loving Lucy during that period? It ended up being months, didn't it? Yeah, it was two and a half months. Yeah, such a long time <laughs> to be a... separated from your other kids. Oh, yeah, I think the husband. longest I've been away from from the other kids was like five days, and that was like a really long time, yeah. you know. And I think the worst part of it, we didn't know how long it could be. Yeah, um, it could have gone on much longer. So the, the not knowing, just the unknown, I think was the hardest part. And did it ever cross your mind that it could be never? Like that, that, it, that, it could, that she might never get that passport? And um, it, it crossed our minds that it could take a really long time and should we consider bringing everybody to the States for a year right, or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I gained such a deeper understanding of the gospel in those two and a half months because... I began to see that in so many ways I was Lucy. You know, here I was in this circumstance that I didn't expect that was so hard that it was all out of my control. I couldn't do anything to fix it or make it right. And I didn't like it. And so I was leaning as far away as I could. And I was saying, God, you are not good. You are not providing for me. I don't trust you. And he continued to pursue me in that. You know, he didn't abandon me in my rebellion. He continued to love me and pursue me. And so I had this beautiful gospel parallel going on as I was pushing away. She was pushing away, but God was pursuing me and I was pursuing her. And kind of as I slowly saw her armor come down and her begin to lean in and trust, that was happening in my heart too. And so it kind of, for me, it turned from how do I get this passport to God, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Like a curiosity of show me. Uh, I, I would love to be united with my family more than anything, but you obviously are up to something different here. Show me. And so as I was softening, she was softening as well as I continued to love, patiently pursue. It's such a great picture because it's how we come into a relationship with God mm-hmm. because Christ died whilst we were his enemies, Mm -hmm. and yet it continues, doesn't it? That relationship, his grace and his love for us just continues even when we keep rebelling. So you came home and gradually she did soften to your love and your family's love. She did. And tell me about her now. So now she is five and she is so sassy and uh, the funniest little thing and so affectionate and just... Precious. We could not imagine life without her. She lights up our home and keeps us laughing. And I love it. Like we talk about her story a lot. She knows as much as she can understand at this point, but she very much knows she's ours. And uh, just to see 
the light in her eyes, um, where there was once just dullness mm. and um, how expressive she is and brave, so brave. Yeah. It is an absolute miracle. Mm. It really is. That is great. You ended up um, being asked to write a book about bringing Lucy home. So did That's that right. come from the blog? Did you grab that and publish it or how, how did it work? Yeah, what I did was I took just some of the um, most prominent blogs from during that time and then I wrote context around them. So I you know, kind of told more about the situation and what I was feeling, what God was doing, kind of gave more history as to how we ended up adopting in the first place and really kind of end with a challenge to all of us you know, to consider what God is calling us to do to care for the, mo- the most vulnerable. Yeah, yeah so people so kept pressing me with it, and okay. I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so it's not just for people who are going through the adoption process. Not it's at all. anybody. Anybody. Okay, and anybody. it's called Bringing Lucy Home, and we will link to it on our Gospel Coalition Australia webpage and also on the Facebook page. But that's not the only book you've written. What else have you written? Right, so from Bringing Lucy Home, I was approached by a publisher to write a devotional book for adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. So it's called 30 Days of Hope for Adoptive Parents. And that came out in February Mm -hmm. of this year. And then I was approached by Julie Sparkman, who is a counselor and teacher in the States. And she was my hero. Um, (laughs) I had done uh, two of Julie's studies before and just loved her. And probably besides the Bible, God has used her material to be the most life-changing, you know, for me. So I, out of the blue, got an email from her and it said, Dear Jennifer, when I read what you write, you write how I would write if I could write. (laughs) And I thought, you read what I write? (laughs) I couldn't believe it. And she said, "Um, you know, people have been after me for years to turn my lecture series, Unhitching from the Crazy Train, Finding Rest in a World You Can't Control, into a book. Would you be interested in doing that with me? And I thought, are you kidding me? (laughs) Of course I would. How do you go about writing a book with somebody else? So you got her lecture material and you crafted it. How, How did the process go from there? Yeah. Um, so smooth. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, so hard. And and I kept telling Julie, you know, I'm like, Julie, you asked me to do this. I've never done this before. You know, I've written two books, but I've never written a book with somebody based on their ideas, in their voice. I've never done this before. Don't you want somebody else to, to do this? She had more confidence in me than definitely than I had in myself. I started out very gung-ho with high expectations of what she was going to think about me because of what I was going to produce. So I would write a chapter and send it to her and I thought she's going to love it. And she's going to think you're fabulous. Fabulous. So fabulous. And I can't (laughs) wait to get the response of how much she loves me and my work. And I uh, sent that first, you know, that first chapter and she had questions and wasn't quite sure about it and wanted some things done again. And I thought, what? Like, where's my trophy? I mean, where's the prize? uh, There is the prize. I thought you would love this. And it devastated me. 
devastating. So then I would try harder and I would send it to her and, you know, subconsciously saying, please love me, please, 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 please love this and tell me I am fantastic. (laughs) And then she would have more questions. And what I realized was that life was imitating art. So here this this book is about unhitching from your ideas of how you think life should go and kind of worshiping that picture of how life should go. And I realized my hopes were very much hitched to Julie's opinion of me. And when I realized that, it was like, oh, and I had to confess that to the Lord and confess that to her. And it just, it was such a beautiful moment of us being so honest with each other. And because it was kind of this dance of, I want her approval and she doesn't want to hurt my feelings, but it's, you know, it's not quite sounding like she thought it would sound. And uh, we're kind of dancing around, but we had this, I like to call it a come to Jesus (laughs) conversation (laughs) where we both kind of laid it bare. And that was the turning point in the project. And we began walking in and applying the truths of the book that we were writing. And it wasn't smooth after that because it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to write a book, period. Like writing is hard. Writing with somebody else is hard. But it was a safe place. And it was a gracious place for us to go back and forth with our ideas. And my ego wasn't as tied. I mean, I, I still fought that. You know, I, I have to fight it and confess it. But I was a lot more aware you know, of, okay, Jennifer, what is this about? Like you, you need to get over yourself and (laughs) remember the big picture here. So we just kind of went back and forth. I would write something, send it to her. She would kind of do some rewriting, give some thoughts. I would rewrite. And we'd just go back and forth until we were both convinced, yes, this is it. This is, this is how we want it to sound. Fantastic. And I can't wait to read the book because we interviewed Julie six months ago, seven yeah, months ago or so. And I love talking to her. I loved mm. hearing, I mean, it's, it's that idea of unhitching from the crazy train, but I, I remember this phrase that I use quite a lot. And it's when faced with a situation that is not part of my plan. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. What now, Lord? It just mm-hmm. stops me going back and obsessing about how it could have been mm-hmm. or getting frustrated that it's not how it should be. And yep. it stops all of that and just says it is what it is. Yep. What now, Lord? What are you going to do? What should I do? Mm-hmm. Causes me to pray. I just mm-hmm. find it really helpful. That's so helpful. So I'm really looking forward to the book coming out, and it's coming out in February. Yes. Where can I buy it? Over here in Australia, for sure you can get it at Book Depository, and we're hoping that Karong will carry it as well. So shout out to Karong. You need to carry this book. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a cracker. I just know it will be. (laughs) And obviously it'll be on Amazon and bookstores in the States, but the closest, you know, would be Book Depository. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer. That is great. Now, I just want to end with how I usually end. What keeps you going as a Christian in the day-to-day at the moment? What's encouraging you? Mm. Uh, I feel like what encourages me is that Jesus is completely sufficient. And I feel like, I think any of us, especially as parents, and we look around and you don't have to look much further than your living room, your lounge room to see how you've fallen short. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, we, we, it's just in our faces all the time. And uh, I could quickly despair about those things. 
And the only way that I won't is if I run to the fact that Jesus is sufficient, that I carry his righteousness. I don't have to prove my righteousness in any other way and that he is good and he will provide for me. And so we're, we're actually in the midst of, we're about, we're about to move back to the U.S. in six short weeks and, and I'm having to remind myself of that over and over again. You are good. You are enough. You will provide, even though, even if it looks like everything's falling apart around me, whether it be my own emotions or the kids or things that need to get done that aren't getting done, but you, you are enough. You hold it all together so that I don't have to. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been so great. listening. I hope you enjoyed listening in on that little conversation. If you've got any friends who you think might enjoy some good, encouraging food in their ears, feel free to tell them about this podcast. You could, of course, mention it in conversation, but did you know you can also share a podcast, um, whether you listen to it through iTunes or another podcast app, it's actually really quite easy to do. I just learned about this the other day. There's, um, I don't even know the name for it, the traffic light icon or something like that, those three vertical dots. If you click there, there's a little menu that opens up, kind of like in your photos and things like that. You can share a podcast like you share photos. So you click on that little three dots or find a menu that does the same thing and there's a link to share. Um, and then you can choose how to share it. You can send a text message to someone, you can share it on Facebook, you can tweet it, whatever. Um, and you can do that with an individual episode. You can also do it with the whole podcast. So yeah, if you feel like sharing, feel free. Thanks. Bye.